Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we rethink ministry, where we rethink this idea of success, and where we look at what God is doing in the 21st century here in North Portland and around the world. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And today we're going to be talking uh, about, again, this idea of unsuccess, specifically uh, about a book that Henry Nouwen wrote many, many years ago called Life of the Beloved. Now, Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest? Yeah. Um, yeah. Henry Nouwen was a priest. He was a professor and then spent his last days on this earth as a chaplain for uh, shoot uh, the Arch community um, yeah. somewhere in the Midwest, I believe. Um, but David, for me, Henry Nouwen and somebody, well, for both of us, actually, in college, we were exposed to him. Um, I remember his book in the was it in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus um, yeah. for our preaching class we were we were given it was one of our textbooks for that and our professor he said here but I don't want you to read it yet and, to, and then we we had one day it was a field trip in college I didn't know you could have field trips in college right but, it was pretty rad um, <laughs> yeah but we went to monastery and um, we slotted out a couple hours of time um, in solitude and we went and our professor had us read the book in its entirety um, and I didn't realize I guess the impact that that, that now and would have on my own life then um, I read it as just in re- it was good but it didn't really have the impact that it has on my life now nearly 15 years later um, 15 years <laughs> <laughs> nearly 15 years man where's time gone oh gosh yep. um so it was a couple years ago as i've kind of in this place of ministry where i was a little bit discontent um and god began to work or was at work kind of in my own heart um on this idea of success and kind of what's the metrics that we are using um, to define success. And I really was drawn to Nowen and just his, his heart. Um, he was somebody who had it all. Um, he was an author, he was a speaker, a professor at some at very well-known Harvard, um, right? Yeah, I, I, I believe I so. so. Um, and so he was at the top of his game, and he felt God calling him towards to ministry, um, specifically to the least of these. And there was a season in his, his life where he really felt strongly that he was called to serve the poor in South America. Um, and so he left everything. He stepped away from, from it all. And some wise counsel told him to... Um, to maintain some of his contacts. And so he didn't um, completely kind of burn every, I don't know, every relationship or every bridge that, that he had built. Um, but he spent some time in preparation and then spent, I think about a year in, in South America um, and realized even though that experience was truly transformational for him, um, realized it wasn't, he couldn't sustain himself um, in that context. And so came back and that's then where he, God led him, um, 
to this ministry at the at the arch community and the the thing that really jumped out at me is that he was willing to he he was he's willing to end his life in in a way that that had no real fame or fortune to it um by by end his life you mean have his life end yes the the end yeah <laughs> um he spent his remaining years the last years on this earth um as a chaplain to a community of um you know of of mentally disabled individuals and people um who couldn't who couldn't give back um and he loved without really being loved in return um some of those things that he had um well, that he he had placed high value in were really rendered useless with his community and his relationships um, with members of this community. So Henry Nowen prided himself um, in being interdenominational. Like even though he's a Catholic priest, he um, ecumenical ministry was really important for him, and um, and he studied a lot in that, and so was able to really relate with different people and. Um, and he got himself caught in the situation where he gave one of the, um, one of the caregivers at this, this community home that he was living in, he gave them some meat for dinner. And one of the, um, one of the members of the community said, Henry, you can't give her meat. She's Presbyterian. And of course, not eating meat and being Presbyterian have nothing to do with each other. Um, <laughs> but for this person, it had everything to do with it. And Henry realized, man, all the, all the doctrine, all the knowledge that he had meant nothing in that situation. And, um, right. And so it was really this, uh, really this humbling experience. Um, so for me, I I was drawn to him and like how can I how can I take some of that peace that contentment that joy that I really sensed that he ended his life or he spent the last years of his life um, in and with how can I take that and really take those values and and embed them into my own life into my own heart and um, so one of the one of his most influential books for me even though in the name of Jesus is still it's a little short read that I. I've tried to make a habit of reading on an annual basis. Great reminder for ministry. Um, but his book, uh, The Life of the Beloved, and I think it really sums up the values in which, you know, Nowen modeled his life after. Um, and just the, you know, we talked to Linda Joe last week, and there was a lot of, a lot of similarities, um, a lot of overlap that I saw. Um, you know, she talked about this, um, oh, this wonderful failure. Yeah. And in this idea that you're, you're okay with yourself that, or that God has, God has chosen you. God wants you as his child no matter what you do, it's not based on achievement. It's not based on performance at all. 
Um, but it's just based on this love that he has for us. And it's just this deep desire for a relationship. Um, and so I think that's, that's something that now in modeled in his life. Um, and I, and I really think he can hit the nail on the head in, in this book, the life of the beloved. Yeah. Um, so life of the beloved, it, it was written, I mean, it's a book, but he wrote it specifically as kind of a letter to a friend of his who was not a Christian, but wanted and knew now and knew that now and had written all these books to other Christians to talk about what it means to live a spiritual life. And he said, Mm -hmm. can you write something for those of us who aren't Christians Mm -hmm. uh, to explain the spiritual life to us? And what's interesting, spoiler alert, uh, it ends with him saying, yeah, um, this was kind of a failure in a way like my non-Christian friends actually didn't take to it at all. And this friend that I wrote to didn't think it was all that good. (laughs) But uh, he said it actually spoke heavily to um, those in the church who are a little bit um, questioning. And so uh, he said, you know, in his own weird way, I'm trying to explain uh, the spiritual life to uh, non-believers. And I actually have made a book that is helping those in the church. But he he begins by talking about our chosenness. And man, he, uh, at this, from the top, he talks about the ways in which the world controls and manipulates and is power hungry and destructive. And he talks about the, um, the ways that our schedules fill up entirely and how we have people pulling us this way and that and how our, our joy, our metrics of how well we're doing as people is based on um, how we do at pleasing other people in our life, how we do at pleasing our boss, our coworkers, our family, our kids, our friends. And he says, if, if that's all we're living for, that, um, that destroys, that's not living. And his argument, as Linda Joe so well put it last week, is that we have to consistently celebrate the fact that we are chosen by God, mm-hmm. that we're loved by God, that God chose us and he loves us, success or not, that we begin there. Because if we begin with our um, success, our joy, our happiness is based on what other people give us, then um, we're always going to feel defeated. Yeah. Um, let's talk theology a little bit. You know, as we talk about chosen, um, that, that language, uh, sure. 
it it's it's interesting even what it still does to me so i grew up in a wesleyan arminian church and background and from a young age i i remember being taught kind of the difference between calvinist and arminianism and how these two things are seemingly at will like you've got God's election and his predestination and his choosing people on the one side. And then on the other side, you have free will and that can, we actually have a choice in the matter. Um, and, and there's been this tension, I think kind of for many, many years. And, and so I still, because I grew up with the bent of Arminianism and free will, whenever I hear language like chosen, I mean, there's all of a sudden, like, I don't know, my antlers go up or something, you know, or my, these these antennas go up. I'm like, wait, 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 can can that actually be? Because we're not we're not created as robots, and I think there's a lot of misinterpretation, misunderstanding of what you know what Calvin was actually talking about with election and predestination um, in that. But we, I think, we get caught up in the weeds, and and I think we miss the bigger point and i think that's what what now one was trying to kind of reveal to us and i mean you and i just a little bit ago david we're talking about election and how that can that can really be be tricky and how god chooses some people and he doesn't choose other people and you know are you part of the elect or are you part of you know are you predestined for hell or are you predestined for heaven right and, election for for those listeners who aren't aware um this idea, I'm going to sum it up and, and fail hard, but uh, where it, it's where God chose people to be the ones who are saved, yeah, and other people are not saved, and God chose that, God predestined that, that was done since the beginning, and and we have no. Uh, yeah, election to the far end, I guess, is that like we as humans have no choice in the matter. You know, there's no such thing as really free will. Um, I look forward to the comments for this episode, man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what it means, no, feel free, feel free, tweet um, us, write us. <laughs> but yeah, but I think <laughs> we get caught up in trying to determine that and define that and and we miss out on the beauty of of what it actually means to be chosen by God. There's scripture over and over and again in abundance how God chooses us, how God has adopted us, how God wants us to be in his family. Um you know, God loves all of us and and we get caught up in the uh, the specifics of that that we fail to just just to sit back and be like, "Whoa, God wants me? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm part of God's family. Like, God chose me to be part of his family. There's worth and there's value. Like, no matter what I do, God actually wants me. He wants me to be part of his family. He wants me to be on his team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... It's it's always it's a trope. It's it's a common thing for people to put it in terms of parents and children. But I happen to know a bunch of parents lately um, who are concerned about 
their kids and choices that they've made. Um, but man, those parents have not given up on those kids mm-hmm. and those parents will never give up on those kids. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's a trope for a reason. I think that is a, a good, a good metaphor for how God sees us. Yeah. And we can get lost in the, in the conversations of, Oh, well, what does it mean? You know, to be elect or to be not elect or, you know, what are the implications for us here or there? And then we, man, we miss out on the beauty of God wanting us of just the fact of that we have worth and we have value. Um, and I think that that, that message, that truth, that reality, um, can transform a heart and can really, I I think, really begin this shifting of this paradigm um, away from this uh, performance or this elitism. Um, because, of course, both sides have their, their errors. To think that, you know, I can choose God um, seems pretty proud and haughty of me. Um, or to think that God chose me and not you can be pretty elitist and almost kind of like Navy seal esque. Um, (laughs) but, but to just, uh, again, just get lost in that fact that God loves us enough to want to be with us. Um, and that's, so that's what now one talks about. It's like, we are beloved. Right. 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 And he, when he talks about, uh, how we're constantly chasing after success in all its forms and um, success at work, success with family, success uh, with sports, whatever it is. Um, we need to begin with our chosenness because we need to understand where our value lies and um, and we need to understand that we're valued whether we're successful in this world or not. Again, Linda Joe last week talking about how um, she had this wonderful failure and she at the time did not recognize it as wonderful. Um, and I get her, I've had (laughs) wonderful failures myself and yuck, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They, they suck. They're awful. Uh, but she's, um, she found in time that her belovedness did not change, uh, whether she, was successful or not. And uh, now and says one thing that needs to be done as part of the spiritual life in order to remember our belovedness, he calls it um, our blessedness. He says that we should be spending half an hour a day in solitude. He recommends that this guy spends half an hour a day in solitude listening to what he calls the voice of love, which is um, mm. God. And I don't know about you, Josh. Um, I'm bad at that. <laughs> I don't like to be alone. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You do not. <laughs> if I go away and, oh, my my wife, who's a strong introvert, she doesn't understand. Like I, I can go away on this on a solitude spiritual retreat by myself, you know, for 36 hours and come back just exhausted. Mm, (laughs) Um, and 
Because I'm like, I, I, I need people. I'm tired. I've been alone, you know, for too long. Well, you're like the extrovertiest of extroverts, right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that a word, extrovertiest? No. <laughs> no, I'm going to make up a lot of words. That's kind of what I do. But, but yeah, so even, even in that, because it's not a natural rhythm for me to, to look for ways to being away, um, I have to be intentional of finding that time of solitude and, and, and it's not enough just to be alone. I think, you know, now and emphasizes that, but he goes, fill, fill your mind, you know, or listen to that voice of love, um, to God's voice. That's not, it's not one of condemnation. It's not one that's going to rake you over the coals, but just spend some time being, um, I had a professor at George Fox Seminary years ago. He had a double PhD. I mean, brilliant, brilliant man. And uh, I was taking a spiritual formation class with him. And he told the class that the greatest, um, the most significant part of his day is his first 30 minutes, or it may have been an hour, his first hour of the day where he just sits in silence just listening for that voice of love. Um, one of the most learned men I've ever met. You know, mm. he, he's read, you know, way more books than I'll ever even lay eyes on. Um, and yet the thing that he found most valuable was just to be, just to listen for that voice of love, just to kind of hear that affirmation that says, you are loved. Right. You are mine. You are beloved. Yeah. Um, a few months ago, actually, starting about a year ago, I I remember I had a like a full on shutdown. Like I I it's hard to explain, um, and I don't even have visual in a podcast form, so this is going to be interesting. But I so. I shut down to the point where like I couldn't move my arms or my head or anything. It wasn't like full on panic attack or anything, but I was breathing heavy and I just couldn't move for about an hour and a half. And I've been having these <clears throat> here and there for quite some time. And uh, so I just recently started going to a therapist and I was talking with her just this morning and she she asked me, what kinds of things do you do to, um, to calm down, to de-stress, to, to center yourself? And I, I said, well, I, I do things like I run and I, um, and I play guitar. And she said, you're a, you're a pastor. Do you, do does prayer help? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it does. I used to have a time, a set, you don't mess with this time from 9 to 9.30 every morning where I'd uh, go be by myself and I'd spend time in prayer before I started any of the other work of a pastor. And then I, I had had recommended to me that I leave town for a day a month and go be alone with God. And... For a couple of years, I was doing both of those things pretty regularly, and um, ever since these 
like shutdown started. I'm, I'm looking back now and I'm like, I've been praying and I've been spending time with God, but intentional set apart time as now one puts it, listening to the voice of love. I've not like that, that time has slipped and I don't know if there's a correlation. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that, um, the, the, um, the time spent being reminded by God of my, um, chosenness of my belovedness. I haven't been taking that at the top of the day. And, um, other things have just filled that void. And I think that's so easy of a thing to happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. our, either our schedules get too packed. For me, I think it's been just, it's easier to schedule meetings in the morning. Yeah, Honestly, that's what it is. Like, I, I almost always have something at nine. And um, so... Once I stuck something there, I kind of stopped praying. Mm. So, um, I think now and gives us a good reminder here that that time is precious. That time is sacred. Yeah. And if you don't force it, you can lose it. It's interesting, you know. As pastors, we are great at prescribing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> we preach that week in and week out, and then. There's those times where we're kind of look in the mirror and like, oh, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then now it talks about brokenness, and we can, I mean, we could talk forever about brokenness, but, um, but I think what's interesting is when he talks about the uniqueness of brokenness and the the. The personal nature of being broken and how uh, he says, if someone opens up to me, I feel privileged that they've done so mm-hmm. because they've shared a deep, yeah. unique, sincere part of them. Uh, talk some about brokenness because we were talking about that earlier. Oh, man. I don't like to talk about brokenness. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> Break yourself. Break yourself for all these people. Uh, um, oh, I got a lot of things going on in my head right now. Um, I was reading, shoot, reading a book by um, by Brennan Brown. Or, uh, Brene. Brene Brown, yeah. Um, just last night. And, and she was talking about failure. Um, and there was a study done or an interview kind of in the, a big group of people said, Hey, what do you think of when you think of failure? And there's all these negative kind of responses that, that were let out. Um, but then she gave an example of like, okay, well, here's this, I think it was a company. Um, and here's this document where they have, kind of identified, you know, a dozen of their failures. Um, 
in in their kind of pursuit of success or before they figured out what actually worked um and then they they asked the group you know like well what does that what does that mean for you now mm-hmm. and they're like oh words like authenticity or truth or inspiration and um and how the this thing of failure how it was transformed when when somebody was vulnerable enough to expose that to others you know so in my brokenness when i'm vulnerable enough to share that with others it's a risk because if yeah. i if i as i become vulnerable there's the chance that people are just going to step all over me um well there's all kinds of things they could they could step all over you or they could turn and run yeah I mean, I'm, I'm gonna lose friendships and relationships right, um right. through brokenness um but but there's an empowerment at play too and there's this there's a huge risk but when we're vulnerable in our brokenness with those around us i oh man there's there's an intimacy that a potential for intimacy that is phenomenal and I've been able to experience that and, you know, in some relationships in my life, um, where it's like, man, I could never, I could never have this trust, this real relationship, um, this depth of relationship with, um, with these individuals apart from that vulnerability of re really being yeah. broken and saying, man, I've failed. I've messed up. Um, right. Well, and um, and I wonder, like, we we know that's the outcome because we've lived it many times. We know that when other people open up to us, that it's it's a privilege for the most part. I mean, you know, yeah, there are some things that should be kept to yourself, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for the most part, when people open up to us, it's it's a privilege and we know that the same is true vice versa. If we open up to other people, they tend to be accepting of it. So I wonder like why yep. we knowing that especially you and I who yeah. the, our lives are our careers are based around helping people get to this point. So why do we still have so much of a problem? Yeah, every time <laughs> opening up, um, and I think ah, because failure is never comfortable, brokenness is never comfortable, um, and vulnerability still will always <laughs> vulnerability always has risks. Um, I think in my relationship with my wife, you know, we've been married nearly fourteen years, and I don't know if there's anybody that I've been more vulnerable with than with her, but there continues. It's still like when I tell her something that I'm not sure if she's going to like it or not, like it's, I still get kind of butterflies or jitters, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is going to go over well in my favor. Um, but the, like the reward, the, the intimacy that, that follows the connection, the closeness, um, it, it can never exist apart from that apart from that brokenness. And so it, it, it is, ah, it, I don't know if it's something that we ever kind of get over. I think even Christ you know, being utterly broken kind of on the cross, 
I, I don't know if he uh, if he had this complete kind of joy or peace or ha- happy feelings. You know, I think I think it was tough for him um, just he, he being God still, exposing himself and and being vulnerable completely. Um, right. And so I I don't I don't know if we ever get over that, but. Again, it's that risk that we have to we have to take, and man, we're gonna get burned. Um, I think that's inevitable, but the reward, the oh, just the depth of relationship that we will experience, um, and then I think both well, the depth of relationship that we experience with each other, as well as our relationship with God, you know. It, coming back to that worth and that value that we have just based on who we are, not based on what we, mm-hmm. what we do. Right. So David, now one talks a little bit about that brokenness, about being something we run towards rather than something mm. we, we run away from um, and really encouraging us to run towards that. Um, you know, something hopefully you know, maybe next week or in the next couple of weeks, um, th- there's this idea or this concept, of these 10 stops along the spiritual journey that have really impacted me. Um, and one of those stops is, is brokenness. Um, mm. you know, it's, a, it's actually stop seven. Um, and I think few people actually go through that stop. You know, we, we get to that point in life when we're, the idea of really being broken and that God has something for us on the other side of that. There's this depth, you know, to our spiritual life or really to, to just to our life in, in general, there's a lot of healing and a lot of amazing things that can come kind of through this brokenness, but it's daunting, you know, and yeah. <laughs> um, knowing, knowing that you've got to wade through some ugliness and a mess. Um, I I wonder. I'm just thinking about this, but I'm wondering if part of the reason that we don't want to, um, we don't want to share our brokenness is because we don't want to address it. You talked about running toward it. Um, if if I want to get vulnerable with someone else, I have to face and accept that this thing is true about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about these, these shutdowns I've been having. It it's, sounds like it's probably anxiety. I don't know. Um, working on it. Uh, but I know that I wouldn't tell anyone about it for a very long time. And then I told one person and now it's like, I'm, it's fine. But just being able to say it out loud, like talk about this thing out loud as if it's like a part of me mm-hmm. took almost a year hmm. or over a year, around a year. It doesn't really matter how long, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like if, if we, 
to talk about these things, we have to acknowledge and address them as realities of ourselves. Yeah. And they're failures. Like, it, yeah. In, in a Western kind context, of. you know, in the world that we live in, brokenness, um, you know, things that, uh, areas that we're not able to achieve in, um, they're considered failures and we don't do well embracing failure as, as a culture. It's not celebrated. Right. Um, and man, I, I think now in, now and gets to the point where he's okay with his failures. Um, and again, last week with Linda Joe, where she was okay being a failure not only okay she's uh she's happy about her failures like they've they've refined her yeah and and so again it's not about achieving it's not about having this life that's all put together um but man it's it's about being okay with the messiness of life being okay with Ah, the the brokenness. Um, yeah, and and realizing that our worth, like we have an intrinsic value. Um, I like we are created. Genesis tells us that we are created in the image of God, mm-hmm. and so with that, if if we have God's image, even if it's a tainted image, um, there's something deep within us that has intrinsic value and intrinsic worth and we matter not not because of a family that we've been born into not because of a certain country or that we've been born to or like it we matter simply because as humans we have or we're made in God's image in some form or fashion you know, and that alone, there's something deep within us that has worth, that has value, um, just intrinsically by, by its own nature, um, we matter. And I, I think that's a truth that, man, you know, I, I think could change our world, you know, if we really, if everybody really, really got it. And I, I still wrestle with that, you know, like. Um, I know in my head, but man, I still like to get people's approval. Um, <laughs> yep. I still like thumbs up rather than thumbs down, you know. And, um, and do people do that? Do I mean, people give you thumbs up no, or thumbs that, down? Well, on Facebook. And, oh, yeah. No, that's true. That's um, true. I guess there's okay. no. You can <laughs> unlike things, but you can't like not like things. Um, yeah, but you can leave a comment that says "f you." I don't. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I hate what you said. You're stupid. Um, and and I like I I wrestle with that continually. You know, again, I I know my worth and value comes from comes from God and from being you know a child of God. But man, I still I think have a lot of brokenness that I have to run towards and through. And um, yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's funny is that you were saying brokenness is a is a failure by western standards by society standards and yet 
we're talking about redefining success and redefining ministry, redefining failure, man. Failure is not bad. Yeah, let's not redefine it. Let's reclaim it. Reclaim failure. Failure, reclaiming failure. That should have been the name of the podcast, man. (laughs) (laughs) Unsuccess slash reclaiming failure. We're going to rename the podcast every week. Yeah. It'll it'll just change. (laughs) No. um, Start a new stream. (laughs) Um, The uh, re redefining success and reclaiming this idea of failure that failure isn't a negative thing and that um our brokenness um doesn't define us but it is a part of us and that that part of us can be a great benefit or even if nothing about um this broken part of us seems good it does not rule us it does not define us and Mm -hmm. um we're known as something greater which is a a loved child of god created in the image of god yeah i one of the things that i that uh, it's kind of stuck to me recently and this is again going off of brene brown's kind of some of her writing um is i think we as a culture we as a, we as a um, civilization are learning how to celebrate failures but it's because we learn from our failures and and then failures lead to success and so there still seems to be this pull yourself up by your bootstraps, sure. you know, and use failure to grow from. Um, and that's not, that's not what I see in Jesus life. That's definitely not last week. What we saw with Linda Joe, um, with Henry Nowen. I, I don't see that. I don't see like, it's okay to fail because the path to success is through failures. Um, I see this. It's so okay to fail period (laughs) (laughs) like that's okay we don't have like failures don't have to lead to success um right and they may never i that i think now and would say coming from a community of mentally and developmentally disabled people i he he says flat out like there there's not a lot of skills or talents from some of these folks as the world would define it so um what do they have to offer yeah. well what they have to offer is kindness goodness faithfulness the fruits of the mm-hmm. spirit if you're a bible reader yeah yeah, and so part of again, uh, as we look to wrap up, um, I I think the culmination of living a life of the beloved is is that giving of those things. Like, what do I have to give? How can I give of myself? Right. Um, and definitely, those fruits of the spirit are 
are some of those things. Um, uh, he he closes with such a good, um, such a good way of spinning everything on its head. He reiterates the ambitions of life at the end of this letter that he writes to his friend, and he says. So am I telling you just to give up on all your ambitions? Mm. No. No, you can you can have those things. Is it okay to enjoy a nice meal or dress nice or try for that great job or whatever? Yeah, that's fine. Um, ambitions and aspirations of life are okay, but we have to begin by living as the beloved and someone who doesn't belong to and isn't owned by the world. Yeah. And I think that's the key to um, what Nowen sees as true success, real success. I'm using that word you hate. Uh, But but real um, success in this life is understanding that uh, we're beloved children of God and all of these other things that we do and think and say fall under that. Yeah. When we, when we look for those things, when we look for ambition, um, when we look for, uh, affirmation, um, when we look towards achievement, um, when we look to those things to fill us, they are always going to leave us wanting more. Um, and so in our pursuit of those things, and again, not that any of those things are bad, but they're just going to leave us wanting more if if we are not okay, if we are not satisfied, if we are not completely content with who we are as the beloved, as loved children, as children of God who who are wanted, as chosen people of God. Right. Then everything else on top of that, like if if we get that... um, then everything else in life, it it's gonna be gravy, kind of. You know, like it, it's not gonna matter if we have it or if we if we don't. Um, and God, God will use that. God will give, and God will take away, and um, and it's all gonna be all right because we are okay with who God has made us. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird saying. Everything is gravy, like. What yeah. if uh, like I love gravy, but if I I don't want a plate of gravy, man. <laughs> I don't want all gravy. Uh, that's true. Uh, that's crazy, man. Uh, that's a good way to wrap things up. I think the um we've got a pretty great with gravy. Wrap things up with gravy. Wrap things up with gravy. I want a gravy wrap. Can you just <laughs> wrap some gravy and some tin foil? <laughs> No mashed potatoes, <laughs> nothing, no turkey, just, just gravy, man. <laughs> Tinfoil wrap of gravy. <laughs> oh. Well, next week we uh, 
plan to have an interview if we can secure it. So, um, someone pretty exciting that I, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy Ooh. hearing from. Now, now I'm curious. Yeah. 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 We got to build up the, um, the hype, the hype, the yeah. hype train. Yeah. We're going to get on the hype train. It's a, uh, it's going to be great. Um, so, uh, tweet or message us your thoughts on this episode or anything else we've talked about in the past few weeks. I, I see this, uh, podcast, this thing that we're doing as a very long-term conversation that just happens to have microphones, uh, because we're working through some of these thoughts and, um, other people that we're having on are working through some of these ideas. And, um, I think, uh, I, I think this is going to be a, a fun conversation to have and we want you to get involved. So, uh, you can tweet us or email us. Um, I'm at David Libby 13 on Twitter. I'm, uh, it's nothing special. I wasn't number 13 or anything. I just like, there were already David Libby's. There's um, th- you're the 13th. I'm David the 13th David Libby. Um, so I'm David Libby 13 on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So, um, you can find me there. And I am at Josh Hawk PDX. Cool. And uh, we will see you next time on the Unsuccess Podcast.